Year after year, anti-Semitic attacks and sentiments continue to rise throughout the United States and around the world. In fact, a new survey from the Anti-Defamation League shows that the number of those who believe in anti-Jewish conspiracy theories and stereotypes has doubled since 2019. As Jewish and Gentile followers of the Jewish Messiah, how are we supposed to respond to this? Our guest today is the director of Jews for Jesus in Paris, and he has been working overtime with leaders from the Jewish and Christian communities to combat the insidious forms of anti-Semitism that have been and continue to sweep through France. Messiah Podcast is brought to you by First Fruits of Zion, reconciling disciples with God's prophetic promises to Israel. Put your hand in mine together. We will walk in harmony. Let me introduce you to my teacher, the rabbi from the Galilee. Hello, and welcome back to Messiah Podcast, where Jesus is Jewish and that changes everything. Steph, my yeah. co host. Um, well, I was going to say, You've got mail, but I feel like someone yeah. probably copyrighted that. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Like, maybe I should probably, I could, I could say, um, I, I'm required to inform you that you have received correspondence. <laughs> I don't uh, think they're going to come after us. Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, you know, they're doing pretty well. They don't need to oh, uh, come after us are, for that. AOL, are you so, too. Are you so, oh, yeah. So I'm glad you that you knew where it originally came from. Oh, I um, know, my friend. Don't you worry about that. You, Junior high, you, AOL messenger all the way. Uh, did you know before AOL Messenger there was just AOL? I did. No, I Weren't did. Those the days. Do you remember when you had to dial a phone number to go <laughs> on the internet? Anyway, did we get some email? Yes, we do. I have an email from Kevin in Chicago. He says he's a longtime listener of the podcast, and he wants to tell us why Jesus being Jewish has changed everything for him. Let's see what he has to say here. He says, Hashem has been calling me since I was a kid. Now, somewhere along the line, I realized the Bible I was reading came from the Jewish people, and this Savior that I loved was Jewish. I realized I was missing the very foundation of my faith by only having one part of the story. Everything Jesus said and did came through a Jewish context. This realization has changed the entire dynamic of what I believe. My daily life now consists of studying the Torah for the clarity it brings and understanding that the base of all that is loving Hashem and living that out by loving your neighbor. Keep up the good work. Well, I'm really glad, Jacob, that people are sending us their stories because these stories are powerful. They can really help to build the kingdom. The more we share them, the more people continue to have these experiences. And there's nothing we need more right now than the kingdom, the malchut. We're living in very troubling times. Today, we're going to discuss anti-Semitism. And so the whole tone might be um, more solemn as we focus on that. But it's an important topic because anti-Semitism is on the rise in the United States and really across the whole world. I mean, I think I hear almost every other day that there's a report of another terror attack in Israel, even. It just seems like there's no safe place to be Jewish anymore. Right. Now, I mean, I know we thought things were bad four years ago, pre-COVID, and they were, but the stats show that they're far worse today. In fact, really, there's a... Yeah, I know. There's a new survey from the Anti-Defamation League, and it shows that believers in anti-Jewish conspiracy theories and the stereotypes surrounding that has doubled since 2019. What? So that means, and I could just give you a few stats here from different places, 85% okay. of Americans, 
Americans believe at least one anti-Semitic trope. And there were 2,255 anti-Semitic hate crimes reported in the United Kingdom in 2021. France, that's close to our topic today as we talked to someone in Paris, 82% of French citizens think that anti-Semitism is a big problem. And our guest will speak more to that today. Wait, so hold on. Yeah, tell me. 85% of Americans have bought into at least one anti-Semitic trope? Yes, at least. That, I mean, there's like there's like 6 million Jews in America. So if you subtract them, that's like 87%. I mean, that's that's extraordinary. That's like, you could say it's almost everybody. That's an overwhelming majority. That's like scary. It is scary. Uh, yeah. Especially for those of us that live here and see it all the time. Um, I mean, only 30-something percent of people turn out to vote, but 80% of people, 85% of people are believing anti-Semitic tropes. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not Jewish. For our listeners who might be wondering, if I was and I heard that statistic, it would blow my mind. No, it is. I mean, listen to some of these, these quotes from the ADL. Uh, this is a survey from last year in 2022. Um, they talked to 4,000 people. More than half agree Jews in business go out of their way to hire other Jews. They Jews don't share my values. Jews who have too much power in the business world. We've been hearing that um, and things about money. Yeah. And the FBI report from 2021 shows that anti-Semitic hate crimes increased by nearly 20% just from 2020 to 2021. And now they represent the majority of religious-based hate crimes, at least from 2021. Think about the, sure the, the, the cosmic minority of, you know, 300 and, between 350 and 400 million people in the United States, mm -hmm. there's maybe 6 million Jewish people. And to have that small of a minority represent like the majority of religious hate crimes yeah exactly i mean there's lots more muslims than jews in the united states but jews are the are the victims of the majority of hate crimes that's like that's an extraordinary statistic when you put it in perspective it's really extraordinary and it doesn't actually make any sense when you really think about it yeah. now of course not to not to diminish the fact that there are other religious hate crimes and other um ethnic uh, you know racist hate crimes going on especially in the united states but uh, these stats, for the purposes we're speaking of today, are really mind-blowing. So our guest today can readily speak to this issue. Josh Turnell is the uh, director of Jews for Jesus in Paris. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He was born in New York. He has a degree in French literature. He's a really busy guy. He's participated in and produced video projects, such as the life story of Ruth Gottlieb, who was a resistance fighter and a Holocaust survivor. He hosts Remembrance Salons, or as they say in France, Salons, probably not saying that right Salons. either. <laughs> yeah. um, but these are really unique things. They're recollections about the Holocaust that take place in people's homes or at an event center, I think he might do as well. But um, these stories are exchanged and immortalized that way. He's also uniquely qualified to speak about this issue of anti-Semitism because uh, he'll probably tell us his Paris office is often the target of anti-Semitic threats. And he's working actively with leaders from the Jewish community and the churches in France to combat this anti-Semitism. So I'm really glad he's joining us today. And we will hear more from Josh after the break. If you want to know the Jewish Jesus, 
Don't miss out on a free subscription to Messiah Magazine, where you'll discover his life and teaching, learn about the biblical festivals, and get connected with Israel. Subscribe for free at messiahmagazine.org. Messiah Magazine is a free, donation-supported quarterly publication of First Fruits of Zion. Okay, Josh Turnell, welcome. Welcome to Messiah Podcast. How are you doing today? Thank you, Stephanie. We're so glad that you're here. Um, I happen to know you, but I'd really love for our listeners to learn a little bit about you and what you do at Jews for Jesus in Paris. Can you tell us a little bit about your background, your family, your your current ministry? For sure, for sure. So I'm from a Sephardic Jewish background. I was born in New York in the United States, and I moved to France in 1999. Uh, My my wife is also Jewish. She's French uh, from an Ashkenazi background, and we have three kids. And uh, what what am I doing here? Basically, we're trying to share the good news that Yeshua is the Messiah with Jewish people in France. And along the way, uh, part of that uh, is fighting anti-Semitism, which is kind of mm-hmm. what brings us to this podcast. So I'm very glad to be here and talk to you about it, uh, because we've often talked about this issue, you and I, right? But Yes, um, we have. Unfortunately, it keeps coming back up, doesn't it? <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately. Remember remember Amalek to erase his name from the heavens, you know. So how can we remember Amalek and erase his name at the same time, you know. So this is kind yeah. of the anti-Semitic thing. We want to forget about it. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to have any more colloquies about it. We want it to disappear. So it's this constant tension of remembering and forgetting and trying to efface um, Amalek and everything that is the root of hatred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well Reme- said. Remember not to forget uh, Amalek. That's one of my favorite mitzvahs. Rem- <laughs> remember, n- never forget to forget Amalek. Um, I've, you know, being a Gentile, I've never uh, experienced the uh, the pointy end of a- anti-Semitism myself. But um, mm-hmm. I'm just curious. Uh, you, I mean, you guys are from sort of vastly different. You live in very different places, very different lives, um, but you're both Jewish. And I wondered if you guys, if it's not too much to ask, if you had some, you know, what does it look like? I mean, what does it look like to be on the receiving end of this just for like a regular Jewish person? Like, have you have, have you been discriminated against or attacked or anything just be, because you're Jewish? Um, and maybe we'll start with Josh, because I don't know what's going on in France. Like, what's it like over there? Are there some anti-Semites there? Have you, have you had some bad experiences? Thank you, Jacob. Unfortunately, yes. The statistics here are, are never... Uh, a never-ending disappointment, you know. Uh, in fact, it's interesting because racism, racism in France is on the decline, and yet mm-hmm. anti-Semitism is on the rise. So in general, oh, things are going well in society, and yet for Jews, it's just getting worse and worse. Mm-hmm. Um, you have 40 more chances to be insulted or attacked if you're Jewish than if you're Muslim. Wow. So it kind of leads, you know, the racist issues is is a part of it, but it's actually a different a different thing. Um, I, you know, I could share quite a few anecdotes about anti-Semitism, unfortunately. So, of course, I've been called dirty Jew a couple of times. Or there's issues with money, you know, if you're, you're the, issues, the issues of money come up all the time, the caricature of the Jews want money, Jews love money. As the director of Jews for Jesus, you know, the work that I do in France, our office has been... Uh, sort of attacked, insulted, or threatened quite a few times. And most recently, we got an actually a handwritten letter from a group called the Black Hand. And they sent the same letter to seven other Jewish organizations. 
And as a result, we had to put in bulletproof glass. The police came and told us that they've put us, they've put us on a short list of potential terrorist attacks because we have the Jews sign and the Jesus sign. So we're kind of like the double target, you know, for, um, for Islamic terrorists. And so they've put barricades in front of our office, uh, which is not really what, you know, you ask me what I'm doing in France. I'm trying to bring down barriers between the Jewish people and the gospel and the barricades don't help that, you know, so. Right, um, exactly. Wasn't it Napoleon who recalled the Great Assembly when he became the emperor and he asked the Jewish leaders, you know, are you Jewish or are you French? And they said, oh, well, well, we're Frenchmen, so we're going to be religious at home, and we're going to be Frenchmen on the street, and this is how we're going to do this. And they said, okay, you're great, you're golden. And that's when Judaism actually transferred to be more of a religion than a nationality, at least in the eyes of people who see it in Europe. And But that's part of what made France such... I mean, am I, correct me if I'm wrong. I just feel like that's part of what made Jews so loyal to France. They had a home there. He didn't kick them out like everyone else was kicking us out <laughs> throughout Europe, you know? Jewish people have been here since before uh, Napoleon. In fact, there's records that show that uh, Jewish people have been in Gaul since the time of Caesar, Julius Caesar. Uh, some historians even say that the Jewish people are credited with bringing wine to France. Because wine is an ancient, you know, sort of ancestral biblical kind of thing. And so they, they were the first ones to plant the vineyards in Bordeaux, you know, the wine that's enjoyed by everyone in the world. And so, oh, yeah. uh, so anyway, the thing is, is that the, the point of that sort of whole anecdote is that Jewish, uh, Jewish people feel profoundly French. But the anti-Semite says, no, they're not. After, you know, all the pretty intense attacks we had, you know, we've had a few murders, kidnappings, mm. uh, attacks on Jewish schools. One of uh, the prime minister, the, the last prime minister, and not this one, the one in the last uh, former presidency said, France is not France without its Jews. Wow. So that was kind of a big, a good moment, you know, for someone in the French government, representing the French government to say that, you know. Um, in Europe, the, the French were the first to give citizenship to Jewish people. In Poland, the Marseillaise, the, the French national hymn, the sort of the national anthem was translated into Yiddish in honor of France. And there was an expression in Yiddish that, that uh, Jewish people would say and use in the shtetls. They would say when something great happened, like their child was married or they got a, they was a baby in the family, they would say the following sentence. They'd say, I'm as happy as a Jew in France. Mm. <laughs> that was like a Yiddish expression that people would do. So France has this. So during the during the Nazi uh, um, taking sacking of Europe, Jews were fleeing Eastern Europe, and they said, "Where are we going to go? France. We'll always be safe in France." Mm. Unfortunately, yeah, that is no longer the case. Three quarters of the French Jewish population were deported to the camps oh. by the French police. Right, right. It wasn't even the. Wasn't even the Nazis coming in, right? Well, the Nazis did come in, and they set up sort of a puppet. They call it a collaborationist government, but it's clear that without the help of the French police and administration, there wouldn't have been uh, such massive uh, to that level roundups. Yeah, we got some some anecdotes from Joshua here. I wondered, um, your your uh, situation is totally different. Surely, in the land of the free, uh, <laughs> the you would not have experienced. This this sort of prejudice, the 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 sting of anti-Semitism in your life, have you or have you? Mm, oh, I definitely have. Unfortunately, I mean it's everywhere. It's all around the world. My first encounter with it, I think, with anti-Semitism, I was about eleven, 
they tore down the sukkah at our congregation. Hmm. I don't know who they were. Um, it was very, it was a very weird situation. It actually resulted in me and my friends forming like a private detective agency of all the kids at the congregation to find out who <laughs> did this thing cool. and bring them to justice. Was this in Chicago? But, um, this was in Chicago. Oh, this wow. is outside Chicago in a suburb called Long Grove, which actually does have a fairly high Jewish population. So we turned on our sukkah not once, not twice, three times within that week oh, after we goodness. kept rebuilding it. Yeah, that was really scary as a kid. Um, as an adult, well, I used to work in a, a mall kiosk in Nashville when I was in college. And um, I actually worked for an Israeli, an Israeli kiosk. Um, not the Dead Sea Salts. I, I wasn't cool enough for that. I didn't have the accent, the charming accent, but I, I something with teeth whitening or something. Anyway, so these three kids, these three boys in Nashville walk by me and they see, they ask, are you working for these Israelis, for the Jewish people? And I said, yeah. They're like, well, are, are you Jewish? And I said, yeah, I am. You don't know what's coming next in this sort of conversation, you know, but I'm just, you know, going with it. And, uh, you know, they okay, close your eyes, close your eyes. We have a, we have a test for you. I'm like, I'm not closing my eyes. So I like, you know, barely closed them. They pour a bunch of change on the floor and they say, quick, how much did we drop? Oh, wow. Yeah. So again, this idea, Jews are obsessed with money. We love money and we love nothing more than money. And, um, I just sort of, you know, smirked at them and <laughs> I said something like 275, <laughs> you know, get out of here. <laughs> um, Rain, Rain Man is in the next booth if you want. Right, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, it's been, I mean, I can't even count actually how many. I was even at a friend's wedding in Ohio. It was outside their synagogue. This is a Messianic synagogue. Outside their Messianic synagogue on the lawn, they had their chuppah up, beautiful wedding. They're walking down the aisle and a truck drives by and these people start screaming, Heil Hitler, you know? raising uh, mm. salutes to mm. us out the out the window. Yeah. And what do you do? You just look at that and Yikes. go on. Well, and that's like the tip of the iceberg, right? I mean, these little, you know, this is just from a couple people and there's doubtless more. And then you multiply that by millions of, of Jewish people. I mean, the, the psychological burden of having to deal with that. Gosh, I can't imagine. We've talked about anti-Semitism in Europe. I've talked a little bit about it in America. What about Israel? Do you see in the in the homeland that we have reclaimed for ourselves, where we're supposed to be safe, do you also see anti-Semitism rising in Israel? Well, I guess you're you're going to have to ask the question: What is anti-Semitism? Mm. So let's define it. There, there. I mean, it all comes from uh, a caricature, doesn't? It? So, I mean, the origins of the word anti-Semitism really has nothing to do with the. Um, the people group, which you might consider Semites, you know, mm -hmm. because we're talking about Israel. There's uh, there's Arabs in Israel. There's Jews in Israel. There's even Samaritans in Israel. There's there's uh, you know Jews from all kinds of colors and, and nations. Uh, so, but actually, anti-Semitism is um, is a bit of an ambiguous word. It was developed, you know, uh, before there were major groups of refugees and immigrants in Europe, and it was mostly addressing the Semitic language, Hebrew. But in France, they've actually, you know, the thinkers on anti-Semitism are moving completely away from the word and, and calling it anti-Jewishness or anti-Jew hatred, you know, which is much more specific. Um, and so, yeah, so I guess you'd, you'd have to ask yourself, what, 
what it is, the anti-Semitism. You know, I mean, uh, it's, um, it's a caricature that you're making of someone else. And when you're making a caricature of someone else, you're, you're diminishing God's image in them, whoever they are. And I'd say that that uh, is the source of a lot of our problems, that we're created in the image of God. Uh, we don't see it ourselves sometimes, and we especially don't see it in other people. And that's where uh, uh, the root of a lot of problems are. But in Israel, would you say there's anti-Jewishness in Israel? Yeah, so I would, I would say that, you know, um, the, the rhetoric or the narrative that's going on in the, in the Middle East in general is an anti-Semitic narrative. So I have a friend who's Lebanese. And when he was a kid, his father would, uh, when he wasn't understanding something or his father was frustrated with him or he was saying, why are you being so stupid? He would say this, do you want me to speak to you in Hebrew? Oh. You know, so there, and then, and then he remembers the first time he actually met uh, a Jewish person or he saw, I think he saw Israelis on TV and one of the soldiers mm -hmm. had taken off his helmet and he was surprised that there weren't horns on his head. So, right, right. you know, and then, and then afterwards, of course, he became a believer in Jesus and his whole worldview was transformed on the anti-Semitism that he was nourished in. Um, what's, so I, I definitely see, well, from the Muslim or ter terrorism side, there is definitely a confusion between Israel and Jewish people. A confusion that happens also in Europe and that Jewish people dislike, you know. In Israel, in the Middle East, that confusion is, is it, maybe it's warranted because Jewish people are Israelis. Not all Israelis are Jews, but the, mm. there is some confusion there. Um, what's interesting is that Ben-Gurion uh, thought that uh, the war between the Jews and the Arabs would cease in about 100 years because he saw it as a student of history as something without precedent. You know, Jews were always better off in Arab lands, in Muslim lands, than in uh, Christian lands. And so, you know... The uh, the golden age of of uh, of Europe was the during the span the Moorish and uh, Islamic reign in Spain, and so uh, that that is really something that has changed. Um, there's a there's a, a very large population of Muslims here in France. There are about six seven million, and there's a very uh, prestigious museum called the Museum of the Arab World, and of course 75 80 percent of Jews in France are Sephardic hailing either themselves or their parents or grandparents from uh, Islamic countries or Arabic-speaking countries. And th when the museum opened, there was absolutely no mention of Jews whatsoever. And so the whole Jewish community was upset about it because Sephardic Jews took uh, sort of pride of their Arab-Jewish background, of the Judeo-Arabic that they spoke, of the centuries of cohabitating peacefully. Of course, they had a second sort of standard citizenship, but there was a harmonious cohabitation, and in some countries that still exists. So, so anyway, so that, that has definitely changed. Um, the, uh, the, um, the rhetoric has bled over into Europe, where uh, anything that happens in Israel is being blamed squarely on the Jewish community. There's been uh, demonstrations against Israel where you can hear death to the Jews. Yeah. You know, again, that sort of that mix of, you know, we, Israel's the problem, and so the Jews are the problem. Right. And that's something that Jewish people in Europe have wanted to steer clear of. Uh, 
but uh, now it's becoming generalized. I don't know if you know of the singer Noah Achinu Amnini. Do you know her? Yeah, I've heard of her. She she's a, a Israeli singer. She became famous because of a version that she did of Ave Maria, uh, she, okay. that she sang even before the Pope in front of the Pope. She yeah, she had in a, she Hebrew. Had a, that'd be pretty cool. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it was in English. But she she was she was uh, she was a, at some point she was quite quite the famous singer, Yemenite background, but born and raised in Israel. And she has been very vocal against uh, Israeli policies and whatnot. Mm, mm-hmm. And yet, her concerts have been late, lately been boycotted. Uh, BDS gets on her back. It's like they, there's there's like this no tolerance for. And this right. is where it is anti-Semitism because you're not on, you're no longer agreeing you're not on, you're no longer disagreeing with ideas. Right. You know? right. You're disagreeing with the existence of a person. And in this case, with a person who would agree politically with some views against Israel. Yeah, precisely. You know, so there it's no longer, uh, oh, I'm, I'm not criticizing, you know, the people, just the policies. Well, what we're seeing is that there's a, a basic intolerance for the existence of Jewish people um, as Israelis or Israelis as Jewish people. I recently tried a social media experiment. I made a, an account, an anonymous account for myself on Instagram. No one knew who I was, and I just tried to engage on different posts concerning um, anti-Semitism and the conflict in Israel. So first I tried to talk to white supremacists who were denying the Holocaust. Okay, it never happens. These people are crazy. Um, go get the juice. That's what these people believe. So I tried to engage and just be like, oh, share your sources. Tell me how you know this is true. Immediately blocked. The white supremacists, neo-Nazis wanted you know, absolutely nothing to do with me or the conversation. Okay, so I moved on to people who are anti-Israel. I want to know why they feel the way they do. Tell me your story. How long have you lived in Palestine? And, in, um, you know, have you considered yourself that? I want to understand this. And everyone, literally, and I'm talking, you know, I talked to probably a dozen people, at least these couple days that I was able to keep it up because it was really, really rough for over a weekend, long weekend, really. But just overall, universally, I was decried as a a, a Jew, a pig, a Zionist, (laughs) um, which, you know, is, is inherently not a bad thing. When I tried to explain that Zionism in its most you know, basic definition is just the the belief that Jewish people, we have a right to our own homeland. Uh, nothing about, you know, who gets to live there alongside us or, or anything about that. Just the basic belief that we have a right to live in our own natural native homeland. And it was met with death threats, literally, just over and oh. over again, DM or in person. Um I honestly couldn't believe it. And this one guy seemed like he wanted to have a constructive conversation. So I invited him to a more personal conversation on the inbox. And we talked for about half a day. He asked a lot of questions that didn't make a lot of sense. But I tried to have a constructive conversation with him. And at the end, he's like, are you a Zionist? Hmm. I said, okay, by this definition that I just gave you, I believe that we have a right to our native homeland and to live there in peace. 
yes, by that definition, I am a Zionist. That doesn't mean I don't care about you and your interests and I don't, you know, want to understand the conflict and try to bring some resolution to it. And he said, let me make it very clear to you, we are not at peace. There's no peace between us. <laughs> this is someone who talked very nicely to me all day. There's no peace between us. I wish death to you. I hope you're next. You know, all these things. So, <laughs> Josh. It's no, lo- it's no longer an exchange of ideas, you know, and it's... Right. You exist, yeah. This is where um, uh, most activists, most thinkers, most uh, sociologists or politicians, police who are trying to fight anti-Semitism come to their wits' end. Because what mm. can you do at that point? Right. There's no more discourse. There's no more exchange of ideas. There's no possibility to reason or to even, there's no even a possibility to say, okay, um, I want to be convinced otherwise. Doesn't matter. Right. You know, you want to convince me that, uh, let's talk about these ideas. No, the simple fact that you are born of this people Mm -hmm. makes you undesirable. Precisely. So, So that's... That's where, you know, the, the main discourse is we need education. Well, many of these people are educated. Yes, no, um, no kidding. And so uh, education is, uh, in France, um, 80% of, there was a recent survey, 80% of people have heard of students in school have heard of the Holocaust. Which is a huge victory from a, from a teaching point of view, you know, from, it means that it's, Education's working, you know, but it's not changing at the anti-Semitism. Sign up to become an FFOZ friend today at ffoz.org slash friends and join First Fruits of Zion to restore the authentic faith and message of the Jewish Jesus. Centuries of misunderstanding about the Torah, the Jewish people, and the Jewishness of the New Testament obscured the real good news message of the kingdom. Today, a prophetic resurgence of faith is breaking out, and FFOZ friends are at the forefront of this restoration. Become a friend today at ffoz.org slash friends. The whole reason I started the social media experiment for myself was to see if we could engage with people using something called ahavat chinam. Now, of course, you know the term sinat chinam, baseless hatred, which the idea that what contributed to our exile 2,000 years ago, as the rabbis say at least, um, was sinachinam, baseless hatred against each other, and um, not following the Torah to the, not necessarily the letter of the law, but the underlying principle, the heart of the Torah, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. We didn't do that. Um, so if sinachinam somehow contributed to our exile, then perhaps ahavat chinam can help prepare the world for the ultimate redemption. This is something we emphasize in Torah Club is, is this idea of baseless love. Now, even aside from this, we know Yeshua commanded us to love our enemies. So if education isn't working, <laughs> how do we love anti-Semites and still combat anti-Semitism? So what happened to me recently is that... Uh, I was contacted by someone that I won't mention, but who was probably the locus of attention for uh, anti-Semites, for Israel hatred and Holocaust denials in France. Very, very famous comedian. And for some reason, his wife came to faith in Jesus. 
And she reached out to me and she said, uh, look, my husband's asking himself questions, is open to the gospel. Uh, mm. He'd like to meet with you, you know. Sure. Okay. And so I did not want to meet with him. Mm. <laughs> uh, he seemed like a pretty bad dude. He seemed sort of beyond hope. Yeah. And he just, um, and I didn't like him. I just yeah. didn't like him. You know, I didn't like his humor. I didn't like who he was. He just rubbed me the wrong way. He's the last person I wanted to meet, you know. Mm. And a very dear friend of mine called Francois Blum uh, called me because he knew about the situation. <laughs> Francois's aunt died in Theresienstadt and his mom oh, survived wow. Auschwitz. Mm. And he's a very engaged uh, com combatant of anti-Semitism on many levels. He's an admirable guy. And he said to me, Josh, he deserves to hear the gospel. Yeah. And that kind of struck me. I said, he deserves to hear the gospel. Why would he deserve to hear the gospel? Does anybody deserve to hear the gospel? I said, yes, he deserves to hear the gospel, and God's calling you to share the gospel with him. Mm. And so based on his recommendations, kind of like half-hearted, I went, and I just made sure I was as clear as possible. And I shared the gospel with him. It turned out the guy was soft for the word, and we started studying the New Testament together. Hmm. I lost touch with him, but very recently uh, he came, and he, very recently he came out in in French news, uh, wanting to ask publicly the Jewish community for forgiveness. Wow! For motivating anti-Semitic thought and hatred, he said, uh, "I made a, a, a small fortune on my career, and I'm going to give that money back to Jewish causes. I'd like to Whoa. meet with the chief rabbi. I want to." sort of ask forgiveness, I want to go see Auschwitz, and I want to just change, and I want to help the Jewish people. Wow. So a huge turnaround. No kidding. That's more than just an yeah. apology. Yeah. He went on national news and everything. And guess what the reaction of the Jewish community was? Uh, honestly, at this point, they I slammed can't. the door. Oh, boy. They slammed the door in his face. Mm. They couldn't hear it, you know? Yeah. Uh, he's he was he's public enemy number one. Oh. He, they no one trusted him. They said, "Well, this this is just another ruse. He's trying to make more money. It's not sincere." This mm. and the other. So this is where the gospel comes in, where sure. we are called by Jesus to love our enemies right. and to see that transform. And I've seen that transformation in many ways. Now, this man has not become a believer in Jesus, and I don't know if he's sincere. But I, mm. I think that whether he's sincere or not, that's not the point. No. Jesus doesn't ask us to forgive our enemies and pray for them if they're sincere or even repentant. He says, just pray for them, bless them, because that way you can be the image of God, the God, God your Father, uh, not just loving people who love you back, right? Uh, or loving people that deserve it. And um, so, you know, I, I've had the privilege of meeting uh, lots of people who had negative attitude towards Jews. I met a young woman called Aurore, and she's French, and she was a full-fledged member of the Nazi party. Yikes. And she got radically saved. Wow, that's beautiful. And all of a sudden, she just loved the Jewish people. Mm. And now she speaks fluent Hebrew. She speaks better Hebrew than I do. <laughs> she volunteered at the Tel Aviv, uh, no, at Jerusalem municipality as an architect because she's a very highly educated engineer and architect. And she worked there for free for two years. She loves the Jewish people. That is, the Israelis didn't want to let her go. She was so good at her job, and she had the best reputation. I met a, a, another another guy, his name's Kamal Mokhanian. Kamal grew up in Algeria, speaks fluent Arabic, grew up with all the anti-Semitic tropes and caricatures that you could think of. And um, he, he got radically saved, and today he just loves Jews. Uh, He's like keeping the feasts. Oh, and wow. so I, uh, I remember I went to speak once, and it was like a group of former Muslims that asked me to come and speak. And when we were leaving, 
like spiritual retreat center, they all came out and surrounded the car. And then all of a sudden, they all pulled out Israeli flags. Oh, my goodness. And they started singing, Havenu Shalom Aleichem. Oh. And they were dancing around the car as I left the compound. They, you know, it's like over, I don't know, maybe about 500 feet down the road to the, to the front door. And they were just, and they stayed at the door waving and singing and, you know, doing sort of the Muslim little, you, 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 you know, this thing. <laughs> and it was amazing. And so I, I was in a meeting with the ambassador because we were talking about anti-Semitism and trying to do something together to fight anti-Semitism in France with the embassy and with the local evangelical community. I can talk about that as well if you want the colloquy that we did. And I told this, uh, this story to the Israeli ambassador. Hmm. And she said, Josh, I have, I have goosebumps. Yeah. I've never heard of such a thing. Same I've never over heard here. of such a thing. Yeah, me so too. So it's, it's, uh, it's the power of the gospel to transform lives for forgiveness and f- to remember that we're, to bring us back to that idea that we're all created in the image of God. This reminds me of that story in Barachot, uh, in the Talmud, where Rabbi Meir, there were some robbers in Rabbi Meir's neighborhood, and he prayed that they would die. <laughs> and his wife says, his, his wife was like, what? no, no, it's a, it, it doesn't say may sinners disappear. It says may sins disappear. <laughs> so she prayed, uh, uh, she, she said, you, you should pray that, that they would repent. And so he prayed that they would repent, and they repented. That's what, like, that's how I have to keep thinking about, I think about that, like, twice a week when I hear about, you know, these, because, you know, I mean, I live in, I live in lower Michigan, um, you know, uh, sometimes driving around, well, you know, once in a while, you know, if I get close enough to Detroit, I'll see some swastikas or something, and I just think, gosh, I hate these Nazis, and I, and I, and I have to remember that they'd be like, well, don't pray that they die, like, pray that they repent, like, that's just so much more powerful when someone turns it around um rather rather than just like uh, ab- absolute hatred i i gotta check myself sometimes but thank you jacob i mean i guess i think we're all sort of we're all sort of imbibed with this culture and there's a lot of hate rhetoric going on there's divides all over you know from the wokeism cancel culture black lives matter it's like you have to choose your side you have to choose who you're gonna stand with and fight you know and it's not you know so you're, you're absolutely right to bring that up no so um so Obviously, Nazis should should repent, and and Jewish and you're and you're saying, you know, that um, Jewish people as much as possible should um, should should strive for this avachinam. But so, you know, I'm I'm not in the pool, right? I mean, I get splashed once in a while. I've had people get mad at me for being Jewish, <laughs> you know, even though I'm not, um, which I, I I think is more just like a little bit of ignorance sure. rather than anti-Semitism. Right. Um, so, you know, my feet get wet once in a while, but, and I think a lot of, a lot of people listening to the podcast, you know, they're not, they're not Jewish and they're certainly not anti-Semitic and they're probably wondering, well, okay, is there anything I can do? Um, I'm not on the front lines of this in any respect. So is there, what, what role do I play, if any, in combating anti-Semitism? Yeah, well, that's a great question. Thank you, Jacob. And I'm just very proud of the evangelical movement in France because they've really stepped out in courageous faith and stood alongside the Jewish people. And they're the only non-Jewish group in France to have done that. And that has mm. caused more than a few heads to turn right. in the Jewish community. Indeed. And one of the um, one of the, uh, the the actual pa- the actual president of the National Convention of Evangelicals uh, started the conference saying that uh, of the pastors who were evangelical in France during World War II, uh, most of them were in support of the Nazi puppet government. 
So he confessed, you know, he, as the as the president, sort of there's a symbolic thing where he confessed that there was issues to deal to be dealt with within the household of faith, so to speak. You know, he wasn't speaking in terms of traditional yeah. Protestant or Catholic Christianity. He was speaking, this has happened here in our own sheepfold, you know. And he quoted this uh, from, a, from a pastor in Germany, a very famous pastor, Martin Niemuller, who said, first they came for the communists and I did not speak out because I was not a communist. Then they came for the socialists and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the Jews and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me and there was no one left to speak right. out for me. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's that, that part, but I'd say beyond just the justice issue, which this quote says, I think that um, to really understand that to hate Jewish people is really to hate the source of salvation for the world. Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, a non-Jewish person, he said to her, salvation comes from the Jews. So if you know someone's going to invent the cure for cancer, and then you (laughs) kill that person, what are you guilty of? Mm. You're guilty of more than just murder. You're guilty of something much more serious, you know. And so I think that what can practically be done? I think recognize anti-Semitic attitudes in your own heart and mind. How do you see Jews? Do you really see them as they are? With faults, you know, there's, a, there's another character of Jews that makes them sort of saints and godly and super spiritual and that don't need Jesus, you know. Uh, that's also a caricature. Um, uh, do you really love them for who they are? Do you get to know them? So one is sort of identifying your own heart attitudes of anti-Semitism. Number two is extend a hand of fellowship to Jewish believers in Jesus. Hmm. Invite them to your churches. Ask your pastor to to speak on the Jewish roots of the Christian faith. Support missions to the Jews. Support work, humanitarian aid in Israel. Um, The third thing I'd say is recognize that uh, um, you can speak out. You can do something against Mm -hmm. Anti-Semitism. We were just talking about the social network. What happened to you, Stephanie? Uh, it's it's unfortunately not unique at all. It's not. happening everywhere. Yeah. It's happening everywhere. And I would like to ask our Gentile friends who love Jesus is to just open your eyes. Because if you decide to look for it, you'll find it right away. Right. After this podcast, you look for it, you'll find it right away. And do something about it. Speak out against it. Yes. Um, so I'd say those are the kind of things I'd, I'd suggest. Yeah, excellent. Really, truly excellent. What about prayer, though? How can we be praying? How can our listeners be praying? Well, it is a spiritual issue. You know, uh, there, there is a promise in God's Word that uh, Jeremiah chapter 31, you know, God will maintain His promises to Israel as a Jewish nation, as a Jewish nation, as a people. And Satan doesn't want that. And we live in a, in a spiritual world, cosmic battle for the destiny of mankind. And Satan wants to make God into a liar, you know, and so he wants to cancel his word. And so it's Satan who wants to destroy the Jewish people. Mm. And uh, so there's a diabolical nature, a spiritual nature of anti-Semitism that most people who study anti-Semitism for years and years and years don't get because they're trying to figure out the mathematical problem of anti-Semitism. We could just find the solution, then we could make it go away. Mm -hmm. But the solution, like you say, is a spiritual one that needs to be prayed against. And that's why I'm so proud of the evangelical church in France, because they said, okay, this is a problem the church can handle. Right. This is a problem we can do something about it, because the arms, our weapons are not uh, 
physical, but they're mighty and spiritual for this battle. So we need to pray against anti-Semitism, pray for the salvation of the Jewish people, um, write a letter to a rabbi and say, look, mm. we support you. Please tell us how we can pray for you. We love you. Don't think that, you know, you're not alone. Uh, send messages on social media to Jewish groups in support mm. of them, you know. Prayer is a very, very important factor in that. Ask God to help you find ways to minister to Jewish people, you know. And when I mean minister, it doesn't mean just witness to them. It means actually, where, where can you actually help them? Where can you actually be Jesus's hands and feet to them? Mm -hmm. Where can you be sort of a pastor, a minister to them? Right, like James saying, you can tell someone what they need. But if you're not actually doing anything about it, <laughs> not meeting the physical needs of people, the emotional needs of people, you might as well not say anything at all. So, yeah, I agree. All these are really excellent suggestions. Thank you so much for being here, Josh. And Thank you, Steph. Bring a little light to this. Hey, thanks for coming on. Thank you, Jacob. Great to be with you guys. Well, we're grateful to have heard from Josh Turnell in Paris about anti-Semitism there, in Israel, and abroad. It's a very real and growing threat, and I hope all believers everywhere will join us in praying for the peace, not just of Jerusalem, but of Jewish people around the world. May our Messiah return soon in our days and establish his kingdom and restore the people of Israel. Amen, amen. I couldn't agree more. Friends, thank you for joining us today. Remember, email us at podcast at ffoz.org and tell us how Jesus being Jewish has changed everything for you. Also, we'd love to know what are some of your concerns about anti-Semitism? How do you think we can best go about combating this evil in the world? So we look forward to hearing from you. Until next time, I'm Stephanie Hammond. And I'm Jacob Franzak. And this has been Messiah Podcast. Shalom. Shalom. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Messiah Podcast, where Jesus is Jewish and that changes everything. This podcast is brought to you by First Fruits of Zion and is an extension of Messiah Magazine. Subscribe for free at messiahmagazine.org. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave a review along with a five-star rating wherever you're listening now. Today's podcast was produced by myself, Stephanie Hammond, and co-hosted with Jacob Fronzak. Our executive producer is Boaz Michael, and the editor-in-chief is Daniel Lancaster. This episode was directed and edited by Jeremy Schoenwald. Original music was written and performed by Joshua Aaron. The show notes for Messiah Podcast were edited by Candy Bishop and are available at messiahpodcast.org. If you're interested in learning more about the Bible from a Messianic Jewish perspective, check out Torah Club, which is an international network of small study groups who meet weekly to discuss the Bible together from a Messianic Jewish perspective. To start a club or join a club, go to TorahClub.org. Until next time, Shalom. Let his word cover you and me Like the waters cover the sea Let his love cover you and me Like the waters cover the sea